You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. And welcome, folks. Yes, it is again, as I say every week, another week here at the Joe Dalton Show at Dublin South FM. Every week we try and bring you a new guest with a new opinion, a new point of view, a new way of looking at things. And this week I have a very good friend of mine, a friend and someone who has educated me, helped me unlearn the truth, helped me stand in my own shoes. And now that I look at the world, I see it for what it is. This person is Lisa Temple. Lisa is from Ireland. She is well educated. She speaks many languages and she has studied uh, philosophy, uh, history and many, many other things. And she will explain that to us now in a minute over the last couple of decades. You will enjoy what Lisa has to tell us. Your jaw might hit the ground, but the truth is the truth. And knowing is unlocking so many doors for each and every one of us. Lisa, how are you? I'm very well, Joe. Good morning. And it's great to see you face to face after so many hours of of long chats on the phone. Yes. <laughs> in this little world. <laughs> so, throwing me off into the water. Um, <laughs> and w- when I ask a question and you, as as you've always said, you know, everything is upside down and inside out. Um, and it's been done that way, uh, in my opinion, to hide who we are spiritually and why we are here as well. So, yes, thank you for the the unlearning, the unlearning, the unlearning. That's it. Well, that's very good. I don't think anybody can ever really teach anybody. Um, and I think the very first conversation we had was the difference between information and knowledge. And um, we live in a world where we have a tsunami of information. And I always feel that information brings us out and further along out out of our path out of our being and we need to be very careful that we don't it's like you're on a a safe shore and information can bring you out to the to the ocean and you can forget you know who you are and um everybody's opinion and every you know is often formulated for reasons that are not as obvious as we might think and are not very often in a benefit of growing us as a person, but rather fitting us into somebody else's agenda that might be more aware of where they want to go than where we actually are happier being. The last probably month or so for me, the last couple of months is really sort of understanding the world and being able to take full responsibility for my own individual life. And I think that is crucial for everyone. Like over the years, I've always believed, and for anyone who's ever saw my TEDx talk as well, you know, we we focus on outwards and we should be, we should be focusing on what's inwards and what's inside. Because when we do that, all the stuff that's outside is irrelevant, really, truly is. We project what we see and, you know, you could either in this world live in doubt and fear and panic, or you can live in this world in, in love and joy. And hope, and now hope is something that we can touch at at another time. But those vibrations that we have, and it was the one thing that you said to me, you know, a couple of months ago was, you know, it's not about finding a higher vibration, but it's finding our own vibration. And that really resonated with me. That hit me. That was that was the thing that hit me and went, 
ah, yes, that's there. And that's what it is. We're, we're individuals uh, here having some experience. I, I'm still haven't figured out what, what that is, um, but we're here and we, we might as well make the most of it because it all it is all just in part of a construct. You've actually said an awful lot in just that bit, Joe, just to take the word, first of all, responsibility. I think um, the ability to respond requires you to know who you are and knowing who you are should bring you to realization that you are home, you are safe and you are enough. Now, the problem with that is it's very difficult to sell things to people who know they are home and safe and enough. And we live in a commercial driven uh, capitalist world. So every single thing that's been thrown at us at the moment, and probably since the day we were born and generations before that, has been very carefully um, administered to tell us the message that you are not home, you are not safe, and you are not enough. And from that position, then you are very easily manipulated or groomed into, into buying either ideology or concepts or products. And I think that has accumulated to such a crazy level at the moment that we are what it appears to be at the point of, you know, a pinnacle of another empire. You know, we are showing all the signs at the moment globally of what happened in previous empires just before they collapsed. And, you know, regardless of how we perceive the powers to be as powerful, um, I don't believe that power is the same as force. And we are being forced into particular thought patterns and behaviors and groups and herds at the moment, which I I don't feel. And I'm being careful with the use of my words here, not to dictate to anyone. I don't feel it's natural to the state of of, of a human being. Um, I don't think we are um, naturally as greedy, as cruel as uh, selfish and as um, unified, unified in the sense of everybody, uniform, as we are being uh, presented and forced into at the moment. So that's on the responsibility word. To take personal responsibility is probably one of the most painful transitions that we can do because it often requires a lot of shame processing, you know, that wherever any of us are, individually in our life at any point, good, bad or indifferent, is as a result of choices that we have made. And when we look back, those choices were either made in reaction mode from a fear base or we made in as much as we could perceive um, a conscious response. And we would often look back and say we would have chosen to do things differently or not. But the acceptance of where we are right now as individuals and as a species um, requires an enormous amount of personal responsibility. I think what over the centuries and how you talk about collapsing, you know, like look at the Roman Empire, you know, going back in democracy there. And we know democracy never really works. Um, and I think even with the world as it is, the t- one thing that's popped up in my head was lack of. And I think that, you know, people believe they they have lack of you know, whatever that may be, which then is that drive of fear and everything then escalated. And with everything we've seen, everything we do, everything, you know, our education system or TVs or politics, everything all is driven towards that fear and lack of. And if people can understand that, 
and resonate with what that is. They can, I, in my opinion, I believe they, they, they have a better chance of changing it, but their blinkers are on um, and they're being driven into a hard community because of the fear and the lack of. Would you, would yeah, you agree that, with that? Absolutely. And I mean, the lack of, um, and that coming back to the home safe and enough, if you don't feel like you are home safe and enough, then you are starting off with on a ground of, lack of abundance and lack of abundance gives fear and fear makes into grabbing and you know we can never have enough and then you move out of uh, identifying your needs and you move into a world of desire and that bridge I think is very important um, between need and desire and if you cross that bridge over to desire and you don't link it back to a need then you're almost cutting off your connection to the wisdom within yourself to know um, what is for your betterment and you're moving towards uh, into a hunger, which will never be satiated. So, for example, if I feel hungry at 12 o'clock and I, I see a Mars bar and I want a Mars bar, if I take that Mars bar and eat it and I don't pause to say, OK, the desire is there as a Mars bar and. Um, and then connect into what do I need? And what I might need is a glass of water or I might need to actually go and make myself something properly to eat. Or I might be lonely, you know, where food can actually feed um, um, a void. But if I continuously then say just taking food, if I continuously every time I feel the hunger or the lack or the, 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 the gape inside me, whether it's loneliness, whether it's fear or um, whether it's just actual hunger, if I just continuously react to whatever is immediately put in front of me on an advertisement, a McDonald's or whatever, I suddenly go down a road where I will find it very difficult to actually look at what my body needs. So that's just an analogy of food and that applies to to everything else. But we are bombarded um, with images to say uh, by this, by this idea, by this fear. And it's very profitable. Fear is very, very profitable. And so is a disconnected person is extremely easy to manipulate, to control, to bribe, to flatter or to destroy. If you want to destroy a human being, um, you keep giving them what they want and don't give them a chance to pause and ask them what they need. It's the quickest way. And the human race has been destroyed by being consistently given and wants and told that these wants will equate to a sense of abundance, which it doesn't because they're never satiated. And we've been caught up in those desires um, without any link back to our needs. And I think that's part a very simplistic view of how we are where we are at the moment. What's popping up in my mind when you're saying that is it all leads to addiction. And that addiction can be, you know, created from desire, lust, pride, the temptation of something better. Yeah. And, you know, an addiction can be just a thought of doing something to make you feel better inside. It, it's like that self-gratification by even speaking something or feeling something making you feel better on it. And and there, there is where the crook of humanity sits and lives is the addiction an addiction but doesn't know what the addiction is yeah and i think the fundamental addiction is people are addicted to life 
um, but they are afraid to live, uh, which is really, <laughs> you know, they're so afraid to die that they're afraid to live. And they're so they think that everything that they see is is all that there is and they have to grab as much. But what we see um, and we know this from science is, is you know, a tiny percentage of what actually exists um, in, in our limited perception and view of, of what is around us. Even we only see seven colors on the spectrum and, you know, we see three dimensional world. There's, we know there's so much more around us um, and that can create either a feeling of curiosity or a or feeling of fear or or, or both. Um, but the instant gratification and um, I don't I remember, I don't watch movies very much, but the Star Wars, I think, where um, the little man Yoda was asked, is the darker side more powerful? And he said, no, it's quicker, easier and more seductive. Um, and unfortunately, quicker, easier, more seductive uh, does not lead to satisfaction, as Mick Jagger told us very clearly. Um, so once you can create an environment where uh, people are addicted to the instant gratification of any emotion that comes up or or to shove it down or to to buy something or eat something or do something rather than sit with an emotion um, is going to be very uh, profitable market for those who know how to manipulate that um that lack of of connection it's interesting that you said that as well because people are so frightened to live that you know they're they're, they're happy to lock themselves into a box you know that are they're so frightened to die that they're not they're fearful of living and i think when you come to a spiritual realization that and this is a lot of, a lot of people that I would speak to that understand that they are spirit, that they are the ones that lose that fear of whatever is in this world that we call matter. And once you then can see that this world of matter is just an illusion in a way and you are something bigger and greater and wonderful, then you start living again. And the people who are trapped inside their own bodies and fearful and not understanding that they are spirit. And that's, you know, even though spirituality is so vast and X amount of people are religious in the world, it, they still are, they still don't get that whole life after death or, or whatever it may be, which I find fascinating in itself. In itself. Yeah, I think the, the one of the first conversations we had is I said people need to learn how to pray and how to die. Um, I think they are two of the biggest manipulations. Um, the fear that people have of death or the even the obsession that they have of how they live now is going to either reward or punish them when they die and that in, in, inbuilt belief system. But the other thing is words and in, have, there's so much words, there's so much information at the moment that it's very hard to, like at the moment, you might have an, a, an audience here listening to this. Each single one of those people, if I was talking to them one to one, I would use a totally different set of language or maybe not even language, maybe just the way you look at them, the way you lean towards them. Um, you know, each person needs to be communicated to their own level. And I find that the deluge of information at the moment has actually undermined 
a lot of very beautiful phrases and words by overuse and purposely so. Um, there's very little sacred things left in the world and there's very little reverence. They've this ideology of do as thou wilt without any consequences has become so perverse and it used to exist in a very small a group of uh, powerful people in what would be called an occult world and the occult meaning hidden. That's all occult means. So they would have had a ways of communicating what they consider to be their elitist uh, position, either spiritually, financially, or even bloodlines, whatever they want to perceive themselves. And what I've noticed is that um, those texts, that information has now been splashed out into absolutely everybody. And um, within it, there is always truth, but then you can tell 90% of truth and then a small percentage twists the lie and it and do it in a way that can be mocking or overzealous, for example. And an audience will dismiss everything that's said because they're trained to dismiss a person. So I think the level of manipulation that's happening at the moment globally, where people are starting to say, well, what is going on? You know, what is the truth? Um, those who are manipulating us and profiting from us and with their ideology are 10 steps ahead. And with the the use of technology in the digital world, they have a pulse on the algorithm of the global consciousness where they could create um, a crisis or a bomb or something in one place. And, you know, within a short frame of time, through people's reactions on the internet, they can put a pulse and see how people are behaving. And then they can issue out press releases and manipulate that behavior. And I don't think people actually realize how much they're being manipulated. And that's quite frightening at the moment. It's almost as if there is a haze of um, hypnotism over people. And um, the last three years or two years have been an absolutely fascinating time to be alive because yes, you know, Roman empires fell and all empires have fallen, but they never had access to the global consciousness, you know, at their fingertips in forms of high-end algorithms like they have now. So they have a lot more tools. And, you know, historically, when just before empires fell, a couple of things used to happen. Um, human spirit would rise up against the pyramidical, you know, authoritarian system like it did in, in France, for example, and people would come together and then always nature did something as well. So they it's almost like these empire mind, this bulk type mind has learned and it realized that, you know, risings happened in churches when people got together outside or outside schools or in family groups or in the local restaurant or pub. So they took all of that away from us so that humans could not actually come together, connect in spirit and maybe communicate and identify and say, no, no, this isn't right and rise up. So they made sure that didn't happen, which to me is not a sign of power. It's a sign of utter impotent, low level uh, greedy, infantile, um, pathetic behavior. I, I don't like the word elite because it gives an idea that they're better than other people. I think the only thing that they are better have is, is at is having an enormous black hole of unsatiable need that they are now trying to suck and hoover up everybody else into. 
I, I would just call them gobshites. I, I, I know a few gobshites that I would have more respect for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to think about that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. We can find something lower at the bottom of my shoe. Um, that we that we can we can every time we think of them we can put them there. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. The two things, truth and lie, and you know even we as you said you know people were segregated and locked away, and I've even noticed that people even there and it was and they did a great job of it because even people now at schools or in pubs they're not really talking about it because. There are there's that fear of upsetting or not getting involved or just all just getting along, um, where people won't communicate. But I also believe that human consciousness people resonate around people and it will be dropped out. And people are asking questions to people as signal to see where they are and if they are on a, a this unfortunate divide which both sides are feeding into. Um, I think there will be a community base moving along. But the issue that it is, there's so much truth and lies mixed up into one conversation. People don't know what is what. Truth and lies are, you know, one person's truth can be another person's lie. So they're, it's not as black and white as they'd like us to think. And perception is is also very important. And I, I remember using an analogy that, you know, if I was walking up a road and I saw a man standing with his back to me and up against a wall at half 11 on a Friday night. And I kept walking by. And then the next day, you know, I was called by the police and they said, what did you see? And I said, oh, in my mind, I'll think, well, it was half 11. He was coming back from the pub. Maybe he was peeing up against the wall. But then down the road, there might be somebody who looks and sees that actually standing in front of him is another is a woman and he has his hand on her face. So when he's questioned, he's told, oh, I saw, you know, a couple and they were kissing. But then down to the right, you might see somebody else might have seen that he had a knife up to her chest and he would say, I saw somebody being murdered. So there are three truths um, with different perspectives. But then maybe up on the building behind me, there was a film crew and they were actually filming a scene for a movie. So they were all actors. So now you have four perceptions. Every one of them will say it's the truth. So I th- we need to be very flexible in our belief. Beliefs are the beliefs are fluid. You know, what we believe today might change tomorrow. And I think hanging on to a belief is a, is a dangerous thing. Knowledge and knowing is very different. But I find that the things that I have known all my life are the least, I'm least able to put words to it. I mean, you you can say, for example, love, um, you know, when you feel love for somebody and, you know, you might happen find a song that can kind of resonate or, you know, words, but nothing, nothing can ever, anything worth knowing, anything that is knowing, that is gnosis, that is knowledge, is beyond words and explanations. So all we can hope to do with words is to guide us into what is not real Um, and away from what's false. But you can't actually experience knowledge through words. It has to be felt. A feeling. And I think that's where it is. I think it's a case of no longer using those words to express oneself, but it's actually just a feeling inside within your heart. Um, 
And that's for that's one of the probably the hardest things for me was, you know, hands folded, praying um, and then realizing, stripping that all away because it's all just part of this construct that it was actually just feeling. So it was like being an empty vessel until I understood what true spiritual faith spirit is. Um, and that, um, once you get to that, I think this whole construct of this whole illusion of what we're all living in sort of falls apart, really falls apart. Yeah, I, to sit still and feel fully is in a world that keeps you distracted and moving and have so many distractibilities in it is really difficult. I, and I don't know whether it's ever happened to you, but when you sit down you know, you feel an anger, for example, of what's happening or an anger that, you know, I, you see my my daughter's live um, for the last two years at a time where I was traveling the world at their age and I was free to go wherever I wanted. And, you know, you see them being reduced in, in Trinity to doing their Trinity ball on a Zoom call in their bedrooms, you know, and the anger that you that can feel. But to sit down with something like that and feel if you feel anger fully sitting still and really sit present with it, it expands and expands and expands. And then you drop through it. And what's under anger is grief. And when you expand through grief, you'll drop through that. And the ultimate then is the fear of death. And I have never feared death and I've never comprehended why people fear death. Um, and I think it's been my biggest struggle. Like I've, I've always known there were that you know at any point in my life I could there were things that I would die for you know I wouldn't shy away from something just because it, I could die or I could be arrested or I could be those things just were never there for me because the the feeling of of knowledge that I have of of who I am what life is and it was so strong in me and I thought everybody was like that um I think the last two years um I've had, I've had quite a shock at how much of, of oneself people are willing to give away in order to believe, to feel that they are part of a herd or that the authorities will, will look after them or will um, leave them alone. But the, the, the fear of being socially isolated or the fear of shame or the fear of losing something which really doesn't, you know, ultimately mean that much. The control that that has over people's behavior, I, I just find it, it, I'm in shock for the last year and a half. I knew some people would be very like that, but I didn't know 90% would. I just didn't know. Yeah, it's, I think it's about comprehending what really what death is. Like I've, you know, I've said this on the show many times on my deathbed, hoping that I'm contus mentis you know, suddenly decide to leave here. And I've always said that I've, you know, will have that packed lunch on my shoulders and saying to my family, you know, wizard or dementia, whatever it may, in my, in my, in my hundredth year going, I'm ready. I'm out of here. I'm going to see what's next, you know, and I, I've never had that fear. And through the last, my journey over the last 20 years, has the hardest thing and I haven't mastered. And, you know, that's where I think was one of our conversations we had was, you know, with that meditation. But it's the hardest thing in this life is to sit still mm -hmm. because we have been conditioned to be bombarded 
instant gratification, everything happening. Like even now, you know, no ads, there's nothing. People want everything. Even though you say to someone, sit in silence for 15 minutes and they go, oh yeah, it is so hard for people to do that because we've been conditioned. Well, there's a, it is a feeling of death and, and to fully go through the stages of how you're feeling and be honest with yourself and realize the masks that you are wearing or being forced to wear, um, you know, it, it is like death. So they have made sure that people do not sit still um, because you will alchemize into an authentic person. And the last thing that the systems require in this world is someone who is authentic um, because it's a challenge to the entire infrastructure. Um, we need people who are willing to mutate into whatever the system wants, who are willing to stand by and allow the system to cull or groom or abuse, you know, the elderly, the children or whatever into what they want. I mean, the what at the moment, there is a very clear ideology that is like a steam train running through humanity and they know what they believe and they seem to be anti-life, anti-love, anti-free will. And it's a fascinating mentality. And when you look at it without judging it, you say, okay, this is a core belief system. These people believe that individual expression of human consciousness is not only worthless or wrong, but it's a threat to what they want. So what do they want? They want all of us to be, as they say, as above, so below in a hive mentality um, with no moral groundings, with nothing sacred, with no family values, um, with a real blur between the lines of what's male and female, with no natural conception or birth. And that is the, they're, they want to tear down the individual in order to create their hive. And it's they know who they are. So then the question comes down to each individual to say, well, who am I? You know, what is the benefit for me and the cost? And that's not what people aren't asking. So the benefit for adhering to the, the ridiculous narratives that were being given is you will belong. You'll feel like, you know, you're part of the system. They pay well. I mean, my God, they have paid well over the last two years to make sure that their civil servants and their you know, those that they need on their side um, while they're they're basically smashing the vulnerable in society are kind of kept uh, bread and circus, fat and full. And um, they know exactly what they're doing. So at the moment, it comes down to what it should have been at the very beginning of life is each individual making um, a choice, um, either consciously or consciously, based on full awareness about the cost and benefit of um either adhering and going along with this or standing alone. Now, standing alone, you can lose your job, you can lose your friends, you can lose um, your place in society. So, you know, you can measure what you can lose. And on the other side, you know, you can gain a lot by being part of the system in terms of measurable finance and social acceptance, etc. But if you if you don't understand, and I don't like the word, if you don't comprehend the cost to your being, your soul, your joy, your freedom and your ability to live a full life. If you don't value that or you don't even know that that has a value, well, then it must look crazy to anybody that you would stand against the narrative. Yes. And, and that's it, isn't it? It's, it's that standing 
against the narrative because what's really happening, and let's look at history, let's jump all the way back. You know, it's the system where they're trying to take that individual spirit mentality, you know, free living, love away from everybody and push them to the side and then have everyone following the system, the state. The state is your new divinity. The state is your new God. Your new the parent. State, <laughs> your, your new parent, yeah. And there, there is where they want and, and it's driving that. This is us. We know best. We are the parent. We are everything. And anything apart from that before is all make-believe. And one of the one, one of the things, Lisa, which sort of I when I'm talking to people who are starting to, you know, understand the, the, the ways of the world, you know, we as human beings have been on this land way, way, way before any systems were introduced and systems have always been introduced to control to do better, but to control or not to do better. But it was always someone was to gain from whatever was happening. And if people can really sort of understand that this, what's happening now, we spoke there in the beginning of the show about the Roman Empire and how that collapsed. History has a way of just repeating itself. And even though what's going on in the world is mind-blowing, technology has replaced bullets and we don't know where the next couple of years is going, really and truly. We we can only guess. But the people that who are, you know, we, we are complaining, giving out about the monkey, but it's the organ grinder who who is really pulling the pulling it. They're seven, eight steps ahead. So we're on the back foot, but it's OK, because when you find who you truly are, none of their systems matter. Have you ever met a billionaire? Um, have you ever looked into their eyes? I think I have. Yeah, I'm sure I have met a billionaire. But I, okay, well, I, I ha- I've met one or two. Um, one of them was Chinese and one of them was American. And I remember looking into their eyes and I, I read recently that if from the time Columbus went to America, if you'd earned $5,000 every day since then, you still wouldn't be a billionaire and you still wouldn't have as much money as Jeff Bezos earns in a week, okay? So you look at Jeff Bezos, I don't know him, but what is he doing at the moment? He's flying up into space because he wants to get a different perspective on life. And I listened to that and I thought, you utter pathetic creature. If you want a different perspective of life, I'll take you down you know, to a single mother living on the street or, you know, you don't have to go out. They are so miserably unhappy. And this is not about money. What is going on? Money doesn't exist, Joe. I mean, that is one of the biggest money, language and time are three inventions that have actually kept us all in a cage. They they don't really exist. Um, They've been imposed on us. But these people, it is not money that's driving them. I mean, the money represents our human energy, the, the uh, currency, corrente, it's it's our human energy and they're hoovering that up. But what hell do you live in when you have more money than some countries and it's accumulating on a daily basis and you possibly don't even get pleasure from closing your eyes and biting into an apple? 
Or what happens is you develop an envy, a personas, an envy of people who have nothing and you see them, their face light up when you can't have, you have all the resources in the world and you cannot feel joy. And when I look at some of the characters that are out there at the moment in the theatre that it is, you know, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musks, the um, Mark Zuckerbergs, you know, and I'm not judging them as people, but I'm just observing when I look at their face, I don't see them light up. I mean, okay, Bill Gates smiles and laughs when he talks about people dying. That seems to kind of make him a little bit happy, which is strange in itself. But I don't see, I don't envy them. I have no envy of these people. I have no envy of our politicians at the moment. I look at them individually and I know some of them and I've been in their company of some of the TDs. They are miserable. They are unhappy. They have no joy. Um, I wouldn't swap places with them. They are actually the biggest slaves in the country because they're not serving the people. They're serving a beast. And when you said that it seems to be in human natural nature, you know, something seems to come in and interrupt human civilization at different points. And it doesn't seem to be human. It's anti-human. And it starts to organize humanity into a kind of a pyramidical structure with the top and the down to the bottom and hoovering up their energy. It's almost anti-human. Where does it come from? I don't know. But I know within the occult world, which I've, I've studied a lot and I'm quite familiar with, they would develop what they call an egregore by doing certain ceremonies and pulling together. And they believe that they download some sort of a an energy or a rite. Now, it may be a projection of their own desires and then they justify it through ritual, but something certainly comes in and enters humanity at a certain point and tries to impose this structure on it, um, which is hive mind. And that's not natural to human spirit. So where does it come from? That's a whole other discussion. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. You know, we always believe, you know, energy goes where energy flows. And in this world that we, that we are, this construct that we're in. Energy is, goes where attention, attention. Where, if you put your attention, then energy goes there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the vibration and everything as well. So collectively, you know, collective consciousness within the world because of they've we've been driven into fear um, and driven into lack of that that is that collective organic energy that is creating everything that's going on in the world at the moment as well. So we, re, reality is there's been a small amount of people who understand this are feeding it out through the narrative and through directions and the systems, which then is triggering the normal man, woman, child in the world, which then is driving this collective energy to create what we are all doing exactly. so it's ourselves doing it or it's 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 creating it ourselves absolutely and i think again that comes back to responsibility and when we say we are creating it it requires us to say i am creating it how am i participating and the sense of helplessness over the last two years people have said well what can i do i mean 50 guardi 50 doctors 50 teachers you know 50 nurses if they had got together in a group and spoken their truth, this could have stopped. And I believe that Ireland is very, very central to what's going on globally. We have a diaspora of 90 million. 
And when you look back on the history of Ireland, and I was actually right in the middle of the so-called Celtic Tiger, I was appointed to the um, Information Age Steering Committee by Bertie Ahern. I worked for Bill Gates during the 90s and I went in from a humanist background and my job was to open up the home and education market in Ireland. There was no technology as such in Ireland, although the, the companies began to position themselves here and with 90,000 desktops of unlicensed software and education and there was no computers. And I think I look back at that time there and, and my experience going in as a a humanist into a technology world and my naivety. And I remember being over in Seattle <clears throat> and Bill Gates, everybody was focused on um, Novell, fighting Novell as an enemy. And all our business plans were pointed that direction. And Bill Gates stood up and he said, I want you to stop what you're doing. And I want you to focus on the internet because we could lose everything if we don't focus on the internet. And the company turned around in, in a matter of months and Internet Explorer became the biggest market share. But I remember him standing up, making a W sign with his fingers and thousands of Microsoft managers standing up and it's stamping Netscape.not, Netscape.not. And it was creating that egregore cult. And I, I was sitting down and I actually was shaking. I was frightened. The energy that was in the room. It was horrific. And one of my colleagues beside me looked down at me and he bent down. And he said, have no doubt you're in a cult now. And that was a shocking moment. Um, I was then given a job to do, which was we were to put somebody into prison in the universities. Now, to identify who was to go into prison, who was because of the software theft that was going on. So you had like you know, 92,000 desktops in the 19 colleges at the time and they weren't licensed. So they had the server and no licenses because they couldn't afford them. They didn't have the money from the government. And they were sending auditors over to America and sending out letters saying you have to pay. And I was looking after the education market. And when I looked at the university, I said, okay, well, who's responsible for this? Is it the poor IT guy who isn't considered an academic because there's a certain amount of elitism in the colleges back then? Is he responsible or is it the bursar who wouldn't even have a clue what a computer is? Or is it the president who doesn't have a bog's notion either? You know, who is responsible? But I felt the power and obviously we got shares for doing our jobs and we got promoted. There was nothing, there was personal benefit to me to just go, okay, I'll do this. But I looked at it and I said, this is wrong. This is fundamentally wrong. And yes, a new law had come in in the EU. But when you looked at the bigger picture, I didn't agree with doing that. So I brought the universities together and I said, can you give me one order and I'll argue for an OEM deal? And it was not in their nature to give one order and come together. But I remember being in that environment and thinking, this is a machine. And in Seattle, Bill Gates said, technology will lead and humanity will follow. And there was a look in his eye and every single cell of my body knew that humanity was in danger. Every cell. They were coming up with solutions to problems that didn't exist. They were dictating how technology could be used in a way to, and they hated. He calls us humankind. They believe we are goyem, useless meat eaters. But there are rules that they tell us the truth and we have to consent. 
everything is contract law. But I remember feeling the power that this corporation gave me if I put my values, if I put my conscience, and if I put my spirit aside, I would be a very rich woman today. But I think about that woman if she had done that and she would be dead inside and she'd be afraid to die and she'd be wearing a mask and she'd be clapping and she'd have shares and she'd have money and she'd be one of the elite. And I do not envy her one bit. There's the thing. This whole world that we are we are in, and um, we'll we'll discuss this at a later why it is a construct. It's all an illusion. So if they are, you know, calling, you know, we are, you know, bottom feeders, but we're all just spirits in meat suits, you know, on this world. And I think when if 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 enough people can understand and unlearn everything and see what what's going on. A small, even a small amount, then whatever, you know, the Bill Gates or the Amazons or the Musks and all the politicians and dictators around the world, none of that, their stuff matters. If you start to really understand what the process is and is it a case of how you play the game? That's really what it is. Is, is this is all just an individual process of what we project from within we see out and it's the as you said it's the collective consciousness feeding this but if i stand back out of it and watch the stage and uh, sitting in the audience and just observing what's going on on stage in the public arena you sort of really get hold of what's happening and kind of go let them at it who who chooses let them at it and those who don't can we not just get on with our own lives and observe or do we have to participate i think we have to participate in in the relationship we have with ourselves and it's very easy to watch the theater and then as regards the game uh, the game of duality is what keeps the atom together um and your opinion on matter then can come from that some people you know think that their job is to escape matter some it's but life is a remarkable process of consciousness attempting to expand its wisdom through the experience of forgetting itself and trying to remember who it is in the face of such illusion um, and temptation. I think that's really what life is. So when you sit still, you realize that it is a constant um, effort to remain in your own observer and keep yourself on track and the more you 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 gaze inwards at how am I doing rather than what is happening outside, then when you go out, you you wear your shoes much stronger and you know who you are. So you're in a better position to respond to it. But I think that the, we can't underestimate the tra- the effects of trauma. And you know, I remember 9-11, for example, and that the I was heavily pregnant at the time, and my ex-husband was a, a pilot. And we we were very involved in aviation and the idea that hijackers, because we would have been trained to deal with hijackers, um, you know, and we were trained in Erlingus's cabin crew to keep giving them 
offering them tea and coffee because they want to go to the toilet and keep making them make decisions. So do you want me to stand here? Do you want me to stand there? Will you have a coffee? Do you want milk? Do you want sugar? And it wears someone down. So we were we were taught these human techniques of, of dealing with the, the hijacker mentality. Never, ever did it occur to anyone that they would use the entire airplane as a weapon. So what happened, that was from an aviation perspective, but then globally, everybody had been a passenger. It was it was an absolute trauma experience and creation of a massive invisible enemy that turned out to be very profitable. I'm not going to get into that. I mean, but just in terms of trauma. And then since then, I think humanity has been kept in in a traumatic stage and they've really played on it this year. And when you're in trauma in fight or flight or freeze, um, it takes a lot of you need to practice on a daily basis when you're not in trauma of being able to stop time, connect in, ask yourself, what do I have? What do I want? What do I need? What am I afraid of? And how is that fear affecting me now? You need to practice this like a muscle from the day you're born um, so that when a trauma situation happens, that you can go to that center of the tornado and, and find that peaceful center, which is always there. It's always there. Um, and then I think what would happen is we become less engaged with the, the, the theater and the game. I mean, I hear people saying, um, you know, calling Leo Varadkar by his first name, like, you know, Leo, don't do this. And Leo, they don't deserve to be called by first name. I, I will say here that that government are traitors. I don't think we have an Irish government. The 33rd triumvirate of shame in there, you know, they, they moved out of the doll and they paid 25,000 into a commercial centre. They were telling us the truth. They're not a government. They're not here for the people. You know, they, they are serving an ideology which detests Ireland, detests sovereignty, detests individual, detests children, detests love. And it see, reduces, it's reductive of everything down to um, currency. And they ought to be absolutely ashamed of themselves. And I don't think they can process the shame. So that's why they all look utterly dead inside. Yeah. And it is, it's true that why they've, you know, they've moved out of a so-called government building into a commercial yeah. because it's, they're, they're, they're not acting as a government they're acting as puppets, they're telling. you know, as, as, yeah, as I said, monkey, you know, it's the monkey, not the, the, the monkey. They're grinder. signed up to an ideology. And I think if people don't fully understand what that ideology is, it's like a neo-gnostic, transhumanism so they believe that the natural evolution of man should be from individual to um group to hive to machine uh to ai to create their own version of 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 in immortality without the torment of human flesh like that's actually where they're going and they're telling us that that's not conspiracy that's a business plan that 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 is a business plan but here it is okay we can individually we don't need to participate this is or don't recognize it or we don't consent to it and going back then to us as an individual do we have life purpose is there a purpose here for each and every person or do you know we we talk about what is my purpose you know the biggest question that everybody asks in this world is what is my life purpose do we have one i can't answer a we question and i I certainly have a strong sense of what life means. Um, 
and it's the anchor and the core of who I am. And within that, then you are on a daily basis dealing with your own challenges and your own traumas and your own aspirations and, and confusions. Um, but I would certainly say yes to that. I would say yes. I can't answer for anybody else because it's only by being connected to something which is beyond space and time and the ability to explain um, that gives you that knowing of who you are. And there is nothing that will uh, tempt or threaten or flatter or fear me out of that. I wouldn't exchange it for anything else. It is the biggest question that people ask, what is my life purpose? That's, you know, if- okay, well, I'll help. I, I'll give you a way of maybe being able, if people are asking that question, if, if you can sit down in a silent space and lengthen your spine and relax your shoulders and put the tip of the tongue behind the back of the top teeth and ground down your feet and become aware of your physical body and then become aware of your emotional body and then become aware of your thought body. And they're all subtle bodies that go inward like a tree, a tree, and then become aware of your heart. Now, becoming aware and observing, it is very important that you also add non-judgment and non-interference. So you literally just observe as it is. And then you ask yourself, what do I have right now? What do I want? What do I need? What am I afraid of? And how is that fear affecting me? And once you clear that space, then who am I? How can I serve? If not now, when? And it is a constant. You're not going to come to an answer at half past three on a Wednesday that sorts you out for life. That is a constant, constant evolving um, experience. And the more you do it without expectation, the more you will connect to something that is so beyond words and so beyond time and so beyond money. And it's like dipping your finger into a paint bucket of peace and it comes out and it gives you a sense of a smile. It gives you an inner smile and then a courage which comes from the heart and it gives you a clarity of thought and you feel less fearful. You feel less judgmental. You feel more accepting. And then when you respond from that place, you'll find that the universe begins to dance with you, you know, um, because alternatively, if you're in an ocean and the waves are crashing over you because they're making waves on purpose, they have a wave machine and you're bobbing up and down. If you, you an ocean with crashing waves is too much for any little person to deal with. So all you can do is take in a deep breath, observe the wave coming, dive down underneath, relax, and then come back up until one day you realize that the waves that are crashing over you are your own thoughts externalized in some, you know, matter world. And that when you go down underneath that you're, you're dipping down into your true essence until eventually you realize that you are the ocean. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Lisa, I want us to take a step back in time to the origins of the world, because when I 
started to really understand what creation was or is, it helped me understand what's going on today and how the construct was created. Still trying to figure out, you know, part of the why. But let's start to give people an idea or, you know, to comprehend or a thought process to help them unlearn. And it, it starts with, in my opinion, the origins of the world. You know, Adam, Adam, the Argons, the angels, the whole caboodle. The floor is yours. <laughs> wow, Joe, what a question. Lisa, tell us about the origins of the world. Okay, first of all, um, I've had a strange relationship with time all my life. It, it, I don't think time exists. So even the concept of the origin of the world is is going into time. I and mean, we we do not understand what time is. They also don't know what gravity is. There's so much we don't know, but you can experience it. So you've been in situations where you you're, you want to kiss the woman that you love and waiting can feel like an eternity or, you know, you um, are waiting outside a, a courtroom door and, you know, it, it, time changes. So the origin, we have stories that try to explain the inexplicable. Um, but one of the things that blew my mind uh, quite young was I discovered Max Planck and his double slit experiment. And he set up his experiment with the presumption that light is a particle. And he put two slits in by a mistake. And then he realized that light can be also a wave, which is a, pot a, potenti a potentiality. And the discovery that light can be a wave or a particle, depending on the observer, I can't, I couldn't believe that everybody in the universe wasn't talking about that. Like that is incredible. So that means con your consciousness is actually affecting matter. Uh, matter derives from consciousness. Consciousness does not derive from matter. And that is a really important thing to, to, to start with. Now, as regards the stories, whether we go back into you know, the Hinduism or any of the ancient cultures or what we have in an Abrahamic <laughs> world that we live in, the, the story of Adam and Eve, all of those stories are, are, are much, much older than we can imagine. But they are attempts that the mystics, um, the people who had gnosis, which is knowledge through experience, uh, which is beyond words, they attempted to uh, explain to people like, it's like that there is a formless shape in the room and you throw a gossamer uh, cloth over it to try and give a concept of to what that form is, but it's ever moving. So the stories that we have about the, the cre creation um, are stories. And what they are supposed to do is to trigger a remembering inside you, which is beyond words. And when you get that, I always call that a BFO, which is a blinding feconomic obvious moment and your heart kind of goes <gasps> and something makes sense at a level like knowing goes from being a small k in your head drops down into a large k knowing in your heart and all of a sudden for that split second it's almost like everything disappears and you are one with the one in the one and they are moments that I live my life for when when everything is in line. Like the word yoga is, you know, what you think, what you say, what you do and who you are are all in line. And that sounds much easier in theory than practice. So our creation story that we were given about Adam and Eve um, is not complete, even in the story that we were given. And 
an enormous amount of beautiful ancient texts were destroyed and or hidden. I would say more hidden than destroyed. Um, you know, the Alexander Library, etc. And you only have to look at the amount of stuff in the Vatican. So the people who have been dictating dogma to us um, in, a, in the corporation that is, for example, the church, and that's what it is, they have hidden a lot of knowledge from us. And they have manipulated a lot of the information that we were given to suit their business plan, is what I'll call it. While hypocritically, at the same time, at the highest echelons, um, practicing and behaving in a way that would be completely counter to what they were telling us to do um, in accordance with their illuminated view on what the reality actually is. And that's very hard for people to, to come to terms with because it's the, the amount of lies that we have been told since the day we were born, the amount of twisted, inverted truths, the amount of hypocritical, do as I say, not as I do behavior, which we've even seen in the last year in our faces. You know, we're all locked down. They're playing golf. We're locked down and, you know, they're all having parties like that behavior has been going on since the beginning of, of the, the formations of the structures. Um, and now this is all coming to fore. So in the beginning, there was an idea. If there was an idea, there had to be consciousness. Um, consciousness was creative. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not static. It's unknowable. It's unfathomable. It's untouchable. It's inexplicable. It's only something that can be experienced. And the confidence to be able to say, I know because I have experienced, um, has been robbed by from a lot of people. So if you can't measure it, define it, um, give a quippy statement towards it, then people dismiss it as being nothing. But when you know something, you have no need to defend it. You've no fear of scrutiny and you've no concern about your belief system because the knowing is bigger than belief. So I don't know whether you want me to, to like go through the, the Adam and Eve story, but one of the things I'm particularly fascinated with is, you know, in the beginning there was Adam and Lilith. Um, Adam and Lilith as concepts. And, you know, they had the, the, the initial breakup in a marriage and he cried out and was given the clone, which was Eve, who he then allowed to be raped. And she had Cain and Abel and a whole bloodline came from that. And Lilith then, you know, became demonized as the divine feminine um, to the degree that, for example, boys were circumcised and certain rituals happened in order to actually pull them away. I believe fundamentally, Joe, that it's a woman's job to rebirth a man back to spirit. And it's a man's job to ensure that a woman and children walk the earth safely. And there seems to be a, a thought pattern in this world that wants to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, the Gnostic belief system would be that uh, there is an all encompassing consciousness and in our attempts to explain it, um, wisdom, which would be Sophia and her logos, which would be the Christ mind. Um, she, because she is wisdom, realized that she required experience in order to expand her knowledge. And this construct was created uh, through her. She left her logos. She left her, her, her Sinesi, her partner, which was the Christ logos in order to create an environment where consciousness could enter in pinpoint views through different aspects of life and then go through the arduous journey of 
temptation and having to choose between fear and love in order to rediscover itself, to bring back to the all the experience of, of this of this life, which is not easy. I mean, to take consciousness, which is unfathomable and huge and all knowing and all of that, and put it into a little meat body. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough road. And we're very, very brave to have come here. In this construct that was created, why was it created as as it is? And when it was created as well, what in the beginning, as the we're talking about the origins of the world and the perspective of, of the story, you know, we, we talk about, you know, we talk about Sophia and then we have Pistis, which is fate. And then you have the Archons, which are the the energies of lust, desire, and, and which then tip into Greek mythology as well. And, you know, the, the creation of heaven at the footsteps of, of Earth. Can you explain all that? All, can you go into a little bit more detail on that? Well, you're, you're touching on the Gnostic creation myth there. Um, so one of the things that sets it apart from other varieties of early Christianity is, is that it has this astonishing creation analogy or myth. Um, while it also is aware that you cannot explain the inexplicable. So there's that tension. Um, you know, the Catholic Church likes us to just go, you know, this, this, believe this, 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 and this, and, and this is actual fact the way it is. So transubstantiation, you are eating the body and blood of a man who sacrificed himself for your sins. I mean, we were shoved down our throat and I found that quite traumatic as a child. I, I, I fundamentally felt that the, the body and blood and the, you know, that was cannibal. It was cannibalism. It just felt without engaging my brain, my, my child instinct was there's something wrong here. Just in the same way that I felt I never asked anybody to be crucified for my sins. It, it made me feel shame. So it was all set about believe this as it is, don't question it. And then your behavior was modified by that. So the, the Gnostics for fundamentally say, well, we cannot explain knowledge. We can't, it's only to be experienced. But here is a framework of, of mythology, of, of, of analogy that might trigger in you the unstruck sound of knowing memory that's within your essence. Um, but it's not to be taken literally. Um, so some people find if you take things literally that the creation myths to be kind of bizarre, some people say it's blasphemy, others say it's exhilarating and inspiring. Um, if something doesn't connect with that part of you that feels like it just feels like a familiar vibration. And then when you go and turn to your friend and try to explain it, the words don't come, then you're probably on the right track, especially if you feel it lifts you and, and repositions you back into a sense of wholeness where you feel home and safe and enough, you're probably on the right track. If you can explain it to somebody else, you're probably going off track again. But the Gnostic creation summary in brief is that there was the all that is or the father and he gave host to an, um, an, an aeons and that it exists within the pleroma, which is the fullness, which is eternal and um, inexplicable. And that gnosis, that, that pleroma is nothing but is all. And 
that can create a challenge for people because they've been sold the story of heaven and hell and purgatory and nirvana and all of this. And that kind of is tangible to them. But when you start saying that your true consciousness and state is actually part of nothing, then for people who believe matter is all that matters, they actually get a panic because they feel that that's non-existence. Um, but it's not. It's the actual opposite. And in fact, the matter is the illusion. And the deeper you go down through the atom and with the developments in super strength theory, et cetera, you realize that, you know, we we don't actually exist outside being pure vibration. But the journey of Sophia and the demiurge, who was the craftsman or the great architect or Jehovah, and then didn't realize or didn't remember his own divinity because he was born in ignorance and then created the, the, the first man and woman who was Lilith and Adam. And then the bloodline from Ease happens. There, there is a group of people then who are of bloodline elite mentality who are very, very interested in these creation myths and are modifying their behavior and trying to modify the behavior of humanity in order to fit in with that belief system, which I think fundamentally is each of them trying to feel um, to avoid the fear of the nothingness um, and hang on to the what they believe is tangible and control, which is all fear based. But the willingness that humanity has had to hand over their power uh, in order to fulfill ridiculous desires has made them um, much more powerful than they should be because they're actually completely impotent. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> when I use the word impotent, I'm using it in, in view of the Latin word and potere meaning power. So if, if anybody has done martial arts, um, you realize that, you know, if you're a small person and you go into battle with somebody who's more, for, more stronger than you, that you can't hit them force on force because they have a stronger force. You have to access a chi, a prana, a life force of power and use that with creative unpredictability. And then the force falls. But we are at the moment where force is being used on us, on people who have been disempowered. Um, but the only people that use force to that degree are people who themselves feel powerless. And no amount of money, no amount of control is ever going to fill that black hole if you don't have a connection. So it's a bit like they're all connected to um, a battery and that battery is fueled by people's consent to give over their power and their forgetting of who they are. So there's always a fear they'll wake up. So you have to keep controlling or you are connected to, main, to the mainframe source and you don't need to control or feed off other people. Here's my observation of it is that source energy, um, true spirit, uh, true Sophia, true the Demiurge, whoever created this construct. And in this construct, there is the God and there is the angels. And we have, you know, over centuries and centuries and centuries have been driven to believe in this God and, and these these angels and who are called it in this bubble. So you have a circle and in the circle you have us and this, the, you know, the God and the angels and the Demiurge and all the other, the Archon energies and all this in this circle. And we have been 
tricked or driven down a path that these are the ones that we should be worshipping and looking after and, and praying to. And these entities or these energies or whatever it may be, don't care if you, you know, kneel and pray and look up into heaven or in some mad freaky place somewhere, sacrifice a child. You know, they don't care. They just want to be worshipped with pride and ever. They don't exist without inte- without our without, intention. Yeah. yeah. They, don't, they don't care the quality of that intention. In fact, they they live in a dualistic world. It, it, you know, the, the entire matter is, is dualistic. So if you believe you are of matter, then you're going to be caught up in that dualistic world. And I remember watching that movie, The Matrix, and, you know, everyone talks about it and Neo was sitting down and Orpheus said to him, you know, he he was starting to be aware that that what he saw wasn't what was real. And Orpheus said to him, you can have a red pill or a blue pill. And I remember thinking he should tell Orpheus to shove his pills. You know, he doesn't need to be red or blue pilled. That was an enormously impactful sort of a twisted Gnostic view of the requirement for an external way of enlightenment. You do not become enlightened by reading books or by listening to YouTube videos or by studying. You become enlightened by sitting still and going through the layers of that you avoid into your into your core. I mean, there should be the probably the most enlightened people would be a tribe of people who lived on the earth and never had access to a book in their life, but they lived in, in rhythm with each other and with nature in a smaller community of about 120 people, because beyond that, you kind of can't live in a community. And nature, humans are unique in the fact that they did live in those type of tribes until this, if you like, archon, uh, bug-like hive mentality, pyramidal infrastructure seemed to consistently interfere with humanity and impose its thinking on it. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is if we didn't have those tensions and those dichotomies of, of, of existence, we wouldn't have free will and we wouldn't have temptation. I think free will is the absolute gift that we have here at the moment. And it's been completely underestimated and overridden, but then with free will becomes responsibility. So the, the red pill blue thing, and then I looked at, you know, Trump versus uh, what's his face, Biden, you know, red versus blue, Coca-Cola versus Pepsi, Man United versus Liverpool, you know, Leo versus Mary. It's all about duality. And while you look out and you see a dualistic world and you're on one side or the other, you're not sitting still and being your authentic yeah, self. Yeah, it's the both sides. Like, I hate the word wake up. It has irritated me because having worked for a company like Microsoft, I've sat around tables where they come up with logos you know, stay home, stay safe. These these mantras that they get people to repeat. It's a new age thing, Lisa. Well, new mm-hmm. age was developed by the same people who developed COVID. I mean, the same groups of people. It's New age is probably one of the most dangerous, I think, um, diversions that are happening at the moment because of all of the important issues facing humanity at the moment, whether it's climate change, you know, the question on abortion, the question on on homosexuality has been taken over, used, manipulated and harnessed for the business plan. Yeah, I'm going to touch on New Age in a sec. Just going to jump back to the origin of the world where we were talking about that circle and all these non-existent or existing because of consciences are in it. 
and if we give it a thought, it, it's there and it exists. But it's the other part then, which I've learned is that none of that it matters because it's all just in this construct that the real truth of everybody who really wants to understand to their own divine, their own spirit is connecting with their own spirit inside. And that spirit inside then is connecting to that life force energy. So that's the only connection. So I'm using it myself as an example, a line down the middle of the page. On the right, you have all the gods and the angels and the archons and everything which was created, you know, Jehovah and all in this one box. And then on the other box, you have spirit to source divinity energy and you're down the bottom and you can choose which way free will you can choose which way you want to go is that red pill and blue pill that's an interesting concept (laughs) so there's two like there's two different forms of duality one is where you live on the earth and there's a god and there's a devil and there's good and there's evil and there's that battle going on so that's the duality within the construct and then there's another i suppose type of duality on a higher level which is there is the spirit world and the matter world and that's why some of the ancient people were accused of being anti-matter anti-birth anti but it wasn't so much that they just recognized that matter was a vehicle for the human spirit to rediscover itself. And they weren't saying matter was evil. Um, I mean, the whole concept of what is evil is is interesting in itself. They were just saying it is not our true spirit and we should honor the, the, the journey that we are on, but never forget where we are from, never forget home or to try to remember it. And then it brings in the concept of reincarnation, Joe, and that's a whole, you know, where, the soul has come down and and I would summarize the journey of the soul is like, or the journey of spirit through the soul as being the, another vehicle is first you knew, then you were frightened into pretending you forgot. Then you forgot you were pretending. Then you forgot you ever knew. Remember? But, but here's the thing, just so people can understand spirit and soul are different. I see it as different. I see spirit as being connected to the all and everything that is indefinable. That is, I call it home. And I see, and this is, I don't want to upset people, but I see the soul is what happened when spirit came here into a person. And then that person was in shock, literally, because to come here and to be separate and go through the veil of the Maya forgetfulness is a shocking and the first time you cry as a baby and someone doesn't come, you're going to realize or believe that you are vulnerable and it, be, it it creates the first big shock. And then that creates the ego. And then there's great books talking about the ego in order to, it feels disconnected from source and it's quite childlike and it goes to a place of either an aloof, an interrogator, an intimidator or a poor me when it feels it hasn't got sufficient energy and it interacts with other egos in that way to kind of battle for a small resource of energy because it's part of a like almost like an, a battery rather than be connected to source and then when it, you run through life forgetting more and more about that original connection and life does give you moments where it's trying to gently nudge you and remind you and give you grace doesn't interfere but will hand you moments and say inviting you gently back into your authentic self But then the construct, if you like, is saying, oh, no, do this job and do that job and you get paid. So you're constantly being 
tempted in one way and there's a little bell ringing in the background that can become really faint if you don't listen to it kind of saying this is the way home through the fog and when you come to die then um if you don't know how to die because you haven't done it every day which we're supposed to your conscious belief system then will continue on in the construct beyond death so you'll be aiming to go to heaven or to hell or to nirvana or, or whatever it is that you believe in and the construct doesn't really care whether you're on a journey to hell or heaven not it doesn't care as long as you're going to remain there so in books like the nag hammadi for example there's discussions about the steps that happen when you die and if you haven't worked out the illusions while you're alive well the last 3 minutes of your life you know you've a lot <laughs> it's a lot to process and shame is really the biggest thing and that people avoid and if you are so set on a belief system which have been shoved down your throat then you're going to aim to go to heaven or hell. And that's then where the soul is created. And then it's almost as if the soul becomes anchored in the construct beyond the physical dimension. And then within that, the soul then contracts to come back down again and try and learn and learn again. But you're basically being recycled. And your job is not to get to heaven. Your job is to remember who you are and to then gather up your experience, your compassion, and the joy of the experience of the ride and bring it back home to the Pleroma, to Sophia, to consciousness, to expand it through your experience. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. What I see it as that when spirit, us, come here and then all those reincarnations, we, we keep coming back to discover that if people can get their head around that everything outside of this world, there's no such thing as time. So all those experiences of all those reincarnations that people have had, they're happening at once. So I see the spirit as a shopping bag and every experience it's collecting all this data, information, whatever it may be. And at a time when it figures out that the soul figures out that they remember. I remember now and now I need, need to get get to source and source goes, right, we're done here. Everything we're done. I've got it all the information. That shopping bag all at once with all those reincarnations then go to source for source to expand. So it's happening. Everything is happening now in a split. I can't say time because time doesn't exist, but I think people know what I'm getting at that then the bag is dumped. But the construct is so caught on itself and its creation, there's the seven realms that spirit needs to get through with the shopping bag. It's like a, a dash for, what was that generation game? You remember that you used to run around with the trolley and grab everything and um, that it has to really remember that I'd need to get through this with the shopping bag and those seven realms are all to do with um tempt ego addiction and attraction of oh here you are you the next time you come here you'll be this or you'll be that and it'll be amazing or whatever it may be and and the the, the temptation of the touch the feel you know the smell Senses, which yeah. got us here is thrown at us and you have to kind of go 
you know what? I'm done with all these. I figured it out. I'm just going home. Yeah. Would that be a good, yeah, a good I, sort of analogy? Well, if it feels like resonance for you, Joe, it is. And I would never dictate to anybody. I love discussing ideas. I love been. I love when one of my beliefs are given a new perspective. I live for that. I live to be wrong every day because it, it actually makes That's me easy. <laughs> yeah, it makes me happy when I say, "Oh, it's this," and you know, I'm blessed. I, I have two fantastic daughters, and they're they know who they are in 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 such a beautiful way and they have no problem in challenging. And we, we have a lot of philosophical discussions in our house and they're much cleverer than I am um, and have greater skill sets than I do. And I feel very humble to be around them, but in the view of Gnosticism, um, which I'm, I'm, which I'm interested, I'm interested in all different belief systems because there's always elements of truth in all of them. And, and at the end of the day, the only truth, as I said, is in your own knowing, but they, they would talk about three different types of human beings. And this is a very interesting concept, but in some ways I find it very comforting, but it's very important not to fall into the trap of seeing one as better or superior than the other, because the human mind and the ego, which is fearful and not connected, can only see things in terms of judgment. So there's always this thing of hierarchy or something is more spiritual or less spiritual or more awake or less awake. And I don't see it like that. But and I, I want to make that clear before I discuss this. But there is this concept of of the two fundamental different types of humans. And one of them have two subtypes and it comes from Greek words. So um, the hylic would be considered like in, in psychological terms as somatic. And the hylic were literally part of the construct and program. So in terms of if it was a construct or using the analogy of a video game, they would be non-player characters. So they are bound completely to matter, uh, the material world, the, everything above the atom. And they are driven by eating and sleeping and mating and and creative comforts. And they're, they're, they're not good or bad people, but depending on their you know, how they behave or what level of, 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 uh, um, that they, that they are vibrating at, that they require, they just are generally, you know, part of this construct. Then the other type, um, so they would be meat bodies with an ego and they wouldn't cons be considered to have a soul or connected to spirit. They are literally part of the construct. And then the second type would be considered the psychic. And that comes from, again, a Greek word, meaning, you know, it's of the heart. It's not, it's, it's of the mind and heart or the heart mind. So a psychic would be considered a person who has a physical body, has an ego and has a soul that is anchored within the construct. And then there's also a, a thread to spirit, but they would be possibly have gone around and around and around and around through the construct, through different stages of life and birth, or even different dimensional existences, um, trying to remember who they are. But in the meantime, feeding the construct from its creative energy and not realizing it or serving it. Um, and then there's the pneumatics and the pneumatics, um, you know, coming from that Greek word of kind of air would be pneuma or spirit or breath are, are comprised of beings who come here once um, are very connected to source because they haven't got the attachment to 
earth or earthly things. And they're like a reference point to kind of say to people, remember, remember, remember. Um, so that concept was something I, I found very intriguing. And I think, you know, then you're wondering, well, what percentage of who is what? And it was very hard. I would have always assumed that they say 96% of people are psychics and there might be maybe 2% hylix and 2% pneumatics. Um, however, in the last two years, with the invitation to contract with the construct that has been offered under the guise of the COVID cult belief system, it's almost as if the entire construct itself, the entire video game matter-based reality has blown a whistle. And all of those who are of the construct have heard that whistle. And it has religious almost undertones. It's like their God, which would be the God of matter or the ultimate AI or the demiurge has called them home. And they were adrift up until that happened. And suddenly they were being told what to do. They felt part of a group. They, they had meaning to their life and COVID almost gave them a meaning to their life. And, and then the, I noticed people who were like, sorry, what is going on? This is bizarre. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't match with, with my knowing of, of what makes sense health-wise, economic-wise, you know, social-wise. It doesn't make sense. And all of a sudden, it's like, are 90% of people or 80% of people of the construct? And are there only a smaller amount of people who have been maybe here many, many times? And then are there the people who are here once and seem to have a great knowing about who they are? And I'm really reluctant to judge, but I have friends that I've had for a long, long time and been presenting this concept to them and talking about the philosophy of what's been going on in the last two years, I've had people that I know a long, long time say, oh, I'm a Hylic. You know, I'm here for me. I will go along with the system. I can't understand how you would go against it. And when I die, I just turn to dust. That's it. So I'm just here for the good time and thing. And then I've spoken to other people and they'll say, oh, no, I think I'm definitely a psychic. I remember past lives. I'm familiar. I know something, but I'm not brave enough to do it. And then pneumatics are very rare, but it does appear that there might be some foundation of truth in that. And rather than moving into a position of judging, which humanity tends to do, where everybody wants to be a psychic or a eumatic and looks down on the hylix, it's not that simple. Everybody has its place and its meaning in a game that is ultimately there beyond our comprehension by something that is incomprehensible, but is truly familiar when you connect to it as home that there is a reason for this being the way it is. And it leads to compassion. So <clears throat> I have discovered over the last while that when I accept that people are acting true to their nature by following, as Bill Gates said, technology will lead humanity over the cliff it deserves, <laughs> which is quite frightening because they believe in the evolution to actually merge with the construct in the ultimate AI existence as being the evolution of mankind and then you have another one saying, this totally is unnatural to me. Maybe they're all being true to themselves. And when you listen carefully to Bill Gates, when you listen carefully to Elon Musk and to Davos and to CERN, they're telling us the truth. And they're, they, are, they have an ideology that we should move away from love 
away from life, away from the unpredictability of nature into a controlled hive. And he's being really honest. So I don't know how you feel about that, Joe. And it's just I don't want to engage in the in the judgmental labeling of humans that seems to be happening for people. I, I can feel safe not having information or words to explain what I know. So if somebody says to me, how do you know you love that person? I can sit there and smile. I don't ever feel I need to defend it. No, it's not defending anything. But I've I've always believed that, you know, there has always been a small amount of spiritual divinity or whatever you want to call it, people on this world and, and everyone. And then there's a large amount which are the Hilux, as you say, Um and that could be if I'm in the airport, the people that I know or the people that who I bumped into, say, in an airport and all the people vastly out there running around doing all the stuff are non-existent because they're just part of this construct for me to learn and to, for me to remember and for me to have my own experience. And that's why I think with what's going on at the world, I, 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 I see it for what it is. But I also see that it's it's happening for me to help me um, yeah. and it's to help help me to have compassion, to, you know, forgive myself and forgive others. And the one thing that I'm really trying to get my head around now at the moment is really losing complete judgment because so this has shown that there is judgment mm-hmm. and humanity judges. So that's where... I'm always saying and the judgment is always superior or inferior. And it goes back to what you said originally about that feeling of lack, you know. Yeah. So when you're in judgment, you're saying, you know, am I enough or am I not enough constantly? But when you fall through all of those layers and you land on the soft palm of the hand of consciousness, then you realize that if you are courageous enough to identify your own judgments external judgments and own them as part of your own in internal misdirection, then you don't have time really to judge other people. But that being said, in the last year and a half, the masks in particular, I mean, the human face, I think, is the soul. It shows somebody's soul and personality and their eyes hold the spirit. And I've found that one of as, as traumatic as I found to walk around a sea of people pulling a dirty mask out of their face to social virtue signal, whereas some of them are genuinely concerned and fearful. And that's, I respect that. But 90% of people, I mean, the logic is out the window in, in, in the way they've been Look, it's the whole space. All you can see now is eyes. And in those airports or in those crowds, you can stand and you can look around and now you can actually spot the people with spirit, you can see it in the twinkle of an eye. You can see it in the face. Um, I know that there are there are people on both sides of the uh, duality. You know, we've been forced into pro and against everything. You're, you know, you're either racist or you're non-racist or you're this or you're that or you're this. And if you're outside of that game, they both hate you. You know, they they want you. They don't care if you're Man United or Liverpool, but don't go in and question the game in the middle of the pitch because you know, the media are earning, the players are earning, 
one side shouting at Man United, the other night shouting at Liverpool. And if you walk into that pitch and go, sorry, guys, you're paying how much money to these people? And there's people starving outside. Everybody will tear you apart. Yeah. So it's either get in on the game or, or you not withdrawal, show us that game. Withdrawal. Yeah, because if you show them it's a game, it, it pulls the foundation of their belief under them and then they, they feel they're falling down into nothing. But when you walk around at the moment, we have, it has been, everything has been revealed. The level of horror that underlies and underpins and glues together the top of the pyramidical infrastructure, the billionaires, the trillionaires, the celebrities, you know, the so-called elite, what they have engaged in to maintain their position is so beyond the comprehension of, of what it means to be a human being in terms of abuse, in terms of the sexual abuse of children, in terms of the grooming of young boys through private schools so that they will be in a position uh, of authority that they can manipulate it, the destruction of their, their, their masculine divine energy, the destruction of the feminine divine energy. In order to keep that pyramid in place, it is absolutely horrific. And they have brought it all out in the public eye now. It's brought out through the media, through the celebrities. We saw through Epstein. Have no doubt that our world and the people that we see as giving directions are compromised. Every single one of them and owned and slaves in ways that we cannot imagine. Now, it may be just that they turned their back and didn't say anything when they saw things happening. It may be that they participated in, you know, unethical financial dealings. It may be that there's photographs of them having an affair. It may be that their childhood private school sexual abuse was triggered as adults into behaving in ways that was then, you know, glazed over with some sort of esoteric uh, man boy love type of thing. But that is the glue that holds them all together. They are slaves. If you take the pyramidical structure that is the uh, power structure in the world and you invert it upside down, you've got Dante's hell. And at the tip of Dante's hell are the politicians, the hypocrites, the traitors, the billionaires, the business people. So we may look up at them and I don't envy them because I've lived a life where, you know, I've had an enormous amount of money and I've been around people with money and I've never seen anything as miserable of them. Um, so I know that the more that they have, the less satisfied that they are. And they're the type of people that would drive by in a limousine and see a beggar eating a donut, closing his eyes as if he was in heaven and actually have the pathonus, the Greek word, that deep arconic envy of human spirit. And it's, if there was one thing in the world that I would say is the foundation of evil, it's envy. Why do people sexually abuse children? They envy their innocence. They want to eat their innocence. They want to eat their life force. Why do people have to have a better car? Because they envy the person next door. If there was one thing that could be eliminated from this earth, it is envy. The envy of human spirit is what drives desire and the archon and the entire construct. And these people at the top level, which we don't even know their names, and it's definitely not Bill Gates, they are puppets. They detest the people that are serving them more than they detest the people. They don't detest the people who say no. They're fascinated. Right now, they are more interested 
in observing those people who have stood in their truth. And I don't mean the ones that have went off to protests and screamed obscenities and at the opposite side and called one side Antifa and the other side paedophiles and I hate you and I hate you. They are two cheeks of the same arse. I'm talking about the people who have stood in their truth and said, I will die before I will concede my spirit and submit to you. They are the only people that they are interested in and they are as interested as their scientists are in CERN in Switzerland, smashing uh, atoms together to try and find the God particle. And they are so naive because the act of observing creates, if you have the most powerful um, microscope in the world and you go diving down through the atom to find the God particle, the deep, the more powerful your, your microscope, the more you're going to see ad infinitum because the act of observing creation, it's pathetic. So they cannot find consciousness and it drives them crazy. The other thing they can't work out is disentropy. So entropy is when you smash a glass and all the pieces shred outwards and they have a projection, that's entropy, that's chaos. Disentropy is to bring all of those pieces back in and it's to do with the comprehension of time. So they can't work out time, they can't work out gravity and they cannot create destroy or predict consciousness. And that is driving them crazy because they don't have the connection to spirit. Even if they denote themselves as being elite, the only thing that has put them in the positions they are is their innate understanding of how to tempt a human being out of its spirit and feed you. That is the only thing that they are good at. They understand the psychology of humanity because they have observed it. Their empires have fallen and they have grown and they have fallen and they have grown. Now they have the internet. They have a digital, which is not human, which is not natural. It is from somewhere else. A digital network connection of every human mind having captured not the territory of land. They don't care about land anymore. They want your mind attention. It is the new um, spoils of war. And they have connected everybody globally to that. But do you know what? They don't care about anyone who consents to them. They'll pay them, they'll use them, and then they'll kill them off. They care about you who is saying, do you know what? Shoot me, kill me, arrest me. I won't fight with you. I don't care because what I have inside is not negotiable. And that drives them mad, Joe. When you can buy anything except consciousness and human spirit, then the level of dissatisfaction is, is beyond comprehension because there is no amount of money that Bill Gates could come to me and pay me to sell him my spirit, not my soul. I'm not even interested in that. In fact, I want to go back to spirit. Forget about the soul. I'd say no, Bill, you're grand. Thanks. And that drives them crazy. Yeah. And I, I think that's where it, it, it fits in to, you know, the high lick or the high mentality and then the spirit mentality as well. And and that's why I've always believed it's a small amount of people and everyone else and everyone I meet, I believe, is of of the same. And we're all God's children or 
created the children. Can we look at Ireland just for one moment, Joe? I just want to say something about the, the demo- demographics of Ireland. Yeah. If you look, and I'm, and I'm not accurate here in my figures, they're very approximate, but if you look at whatever, we 5 million people, how many are working for the IT industry? Maybe a million, 1.2 million? Yeah. Directly or indirectly. How many are working for Big Pharma? Maybe the same. It's a huge industry here. How many are working for the state? The state's the biggest employer. So, So when you add all of them up and their dependents, and then you've got the elderly, and then you've got the the unemployed who are working for the state as well, they're owned by the state. How many people are not contracted to the construct? Half a million. If even. And then we've got 90 million diaspora. And then we have our location. And then we have the esoteric belief system they have about the, 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 the tribe of Dan, the lost tribe of Israel, and, you know, whether Ireland has a 33rd state and, you know, why did the British Israelites come over and dig up Tara looking for the Ark of the Covenant? And it's not about what we believe, it's what they believe. So Ireland is very significant and they had to groom our politicians from children to be where they are right now. And they've chosen them by either their active participation, how they were groomed, what school they went to, what clubs they, they, what handshakes they did, or whether they were the type of person that would keep their mouth shut for their pension. So they are all there for a certain reason at the moment. And this was planned a long, long time ago. And if you look back to the Roman empires and Tacitus, and he talked about how the Northern tribes were barbaric because they would run into war with no fear of death. That didn't make them barbaric. The Romans believed that there was an equality of reasonable choice between fear and love. So if you did something out of fear, they felt that was, you know, an acceptable excuse. The Northern tribes did not give themselves the luxury of having fear as an option. Everything was from love, but love, love is not the, the, the Hollywood word. It's, it's, they knew that they were more than their body. They honor and, and, the love of their family, the love of their freedom gave them a coraggio, a courage that came from their heart, as opposed to the bravado that the Romans had, who were ultimately living in fear and like a hive mind. And when those two tribes clashed, you know, the Romans played dirty tricks because they didn't have values. So when the northern tribes went to attack the Romans and they hid in their forts and then the Northern tribes went back and they were bathing and eating with their families. And then the Romans would do a dirty attack when their arms and weapons were down. It was the women who stood up and fought and ultimately killed themselves and the men and their children rather than become slaves of the Roman Empire because they knew what that meant. And for them, they had such a thin line between life and spirit that death didn't wasn't wasn't fearful living on their knees as a slave was now the roman empire energy is now invading ireland again or i'm not saying the roman empire but that empirical energy the globalist energy now it is and where is our men where is that spirit they have made damn sure through years of abuse sexual abuse in particular in, in Ireland, we know that. Um, breaking people down, moving them away from working with the land and putting them at a desk with a computer, 
and um, making them apologize for being a man, uh, shaming women for being women to the point now that you're nearly afraid to even say whether you're a man or woman, you're better to be some sort of a transgender. They have they have literally broken us down. And when Australia recently had those big construction men that went out, you know, this this big energy that went out, they're probably the last group of people that are, you know, physically strong. Um, I w- that kind of might have worried them a lot. But and then there was an earthquake, you know, and nature almost rose up to meet the divine masculine. And that scares these people because they don't have the capacity to control nature. You know, Bill Gates and all of them, they can go down into their underground facilities. But if an asteroid hit them or a flood hit them, they'll be sealed in there and they will die together. And I know if I had a choice of going underground and surviving with the likes of those or staying up and taking my chances, I wouldn't be going down. And then talking about, well, then we'll build a rocket and we'll fly up out of space because they're terrified of Mother Nature. And Mother Nature will assist human spirit if human spirit rises. But where is the Irish human spirit? Who is left? And I believe that the square root of 1%, a tiny figure of Irish people, if they had come together. So when you meet the Gardaí and they're like, Asher, you know, we don't agree with this, but we just have to go along with it. So let's play the game of where you're going. And you're like, why are you going along with it? Asher, you know, they are totally impotent, totally disempowered. It is all contract law. If we taught our children in school, how to pray, how to die, not to be afraid of it, who they are as spirits, how to know the difference between their wants and their needs and contract law and philosophy. This wouldn't happen. You're you're talking, it reminds me of the Breton, you know, old ancient Ireland, the the people, the Breton, you know, who who taught all this and walked the lands and that that has been has been pulled. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM. Crossing the Rubicon. We're coming to look. We, as as we said before, this we could we could talk for hours on this. Um, but I want to try and just wrap this up here at the, for this time, and hopefully you, you'll come on again. And there's three things I want to ask you, right? Which will I believe will tie in to this. One is explaining Tesla three six nine theory, and then it's our chakras. Okay. And then the last question then, on a, you can tie them whatever way you want is, what's next? You know, everyone being individual, like, what can I do today? What can Mary across the route today? What about, what can Bill, who's worried about his family in Cork or in Germany or in America, do tomorrow? Well, Tesla, well, Tesla said, if you understand the magnificence of three, six and nine, you'll understand the universe. Um. I have a suspicion, although I never met the man, that he had a knowing that he then spent a lifetime trying to um, translate in scientific terms. And the 369 could be considered the key of the universe. What he actually meant could be interpreted in many different ways. Um, I mean, you could consider hylix or three, psychics or six, pneumatics or nine, for example. But he pushed the boundaries of science and technology and philosophy. And even by asking a question and by making a statement like he did without explaining it, if you just take that sentence that he said 
and take that as an entry into, I wonder what he means on a journey. I would say that what he said was an invitation for people to stop and consider that maybe there is more to them and to life than they have been told. Yeah, good point. You look at the atom, for example, you've got protons, neutrons, electrons, you've got trinities, you've got, you know, what is the trinity? Is it Sophia and Lilith? And is Lucifer the frozen Sophia? And not what we told it is. Is there that, you know, you've the devil, you've Satan, you've um, Lucifer. Are they the same thing? We kind of were told they were, but are they? Is Satan the inner demon that we feed by becoming, by moving consistently from um, need to want? And the more you move to want, do you create something that almost feels like satanic and they've externalized that? Is the devil, for example, something that's beyond our dimensional um, view in terms of the construct that is life that we can, by creating a certain vibration, do a deal with? You know, we have many um, examples in, 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 in literature of the Faustian deal. Is that what the devil is? Is it you know, as some people call it, the the Quranzen. Is it the is it the hive mind? Is it the bug? Is it what is the devil and what is Lucifer? And when you look at those three things, most people will say, "Oh, they're all the same." So when you start on the journey, what Tesla said, and I'm not going to go into what I think Tesla meant, but making a statement that makes people question and pause is good. And I have my own personal view on what Tesla was talking about, which I I'm not going to undermine by trying to fit it into the last few minutes now, Joe. So anything that makes you stop and question what you believe and perceive is an invitation from grace home. And all you have to do then is have the courage to pause your attachment to your beliefs and go into the, the, the wild, magnificent world of miracle, which is a totally different world to magic. Above the atom is magic, but I could do a sleight of hand trick that you think is magic just because you don't have all the information. And then there is learning how to play the game so that the game gives you something, but that's contract and you need to know what it's going to cost you. And then there's miracle and miracle is the expression of life itself. It's love. It's, it's that indescribable knowing of who you are. And we need to move back into that. I have personally no interest in getting involved in the world of magic, black magic, white magic, good, evil. To me, it is an invitation to participate in a game which is only in existence because we give it attention and is fully based on desire. And as regards those people who have been lured into stepping so far away from their human spirit by being bombarded with occult information and ritual into thinking that do as thou wilt has no consequences. My heart goes out to them because in the last three minutes of their life, they are going to realize that they have to do all the work then that they've avoided for many, many lifetimes and that there are consequences that they have can't even imagine and that the ultimate liar has lied to them. And I only feel compassion for those people. They call themselves elite. As I said, it's not very elite when you turn it up the right way and look at Dante's hell. And hell is a construct of our own mind making. But you can't bring anybody across the river, you know, like the frog and the scorpion. 
the transformational process back into your true authentic self is a very personal one. And what Joe might find difficult to, to, to cross over in terms of your own heart and your own shame, I might think is nothing. But for you, it's the same as having to fall off a building with your hands behind your back onto your face and believe you're not going to be hurt. It's that huge. So the compassion that's required for people behaving in a fearful, often cruel way, it's purely based on fear and forgetting who they are. So that's the first question. Chakras is the second question. So we have this view of describing the anatomy of being called chakras, which comes from ancient, you know, Vedas and wisdom. So you have, and if, you know, I'd like to draw this, but I can't on radio. So you have a person and you have seven energy points and each of those energy points um, has a color vibration and each color is a different level of vibration. So if you can imagine the seven energy points with the heart in the middle and a line through the heart and everything below that line is untransformed and everything above that line is transformed. In other words, everything below the line of the lower heart chakra would be part of what I would call the above the atom material world. And everything above the half line of the heart chakra is more into the quantum world of spirit. Okay. So your root chakra, okay, can be in an expanded or a contracted form. Its color is red and it's related to the earth. So it's like a tree. So if your root chakra is healthy and expanded, then from a baby, you've been told you're home and you're safe and you're enough. And that has also been reflected not just from your family, but in your community, in your education system, in your government and globally, and in everything you see on the television. Now, already we know rubbish. People are told the total opposite, but that's how it should be in its expanded form. On the left-hand side, if you are not, then you are feeling lost, lack of abundance, disconnected, which is the goal of the construct of the pyramidical architecture that we live under to make us feel, to damage that root chakra. The second chakra then would be related to the element of water and emotion and prana, and it's the creative chakra. Um, it's not just the sexual chakra, it's you making a cake or coming up with a creative solution to a problem, or it's, it's, it's just that creative nature. If it's expanded, it is attractive. It has that kind of spiritual oil to it. It's called uja, like the juice where it just glows. And you can see people like that. They, they, they are glowing and they are creative. Now, the opposite when it's contracted, the opposite to creativity is depression. So it's infertile, it's depressed, and it can't really come up with creativity. The third chakra, being the color yellow, a vibration vibrationally, is the mental body. So you have the physical, the emotional, the mental body, and these are going inward. So the physical body and the root chakra is the densest form of light because the particles are vibrating. Um, the energy is vibrating so fast that it feels like it's solid, but it's not. Second chakra then is more subtle energy body. It's the pranic body. And the third one then is the mental body. It's more subtle again. And that's why an illness that happens, like say psoriasis, if that's out on your skin and then you, you kind of push it in through modern medicine, you often get asthma and you push it in, you get uh, depression. Whereas really what we need to do is 
if it's on the skin level, you bring it out. You don't push it back in. So a physical illness is much easier to treat than an emotional or a mental illness. And people don't realize the connection between those three things. And modern medicine purely treats the symptoms as if the body is stupid. But the body is always acting, moving towards health, even by its expression of illness or dis-ease. So the third chakra, the mental body, is comprised of, on the right-hand side, the ego. And it is, it is like a little impotent phallus. And at about four years of age, it was believing it's not home, it's not safe, it's not enough. And it was integrating with the, the family's um, similar feelings. So you could have an aloof mother who pulled back her energy and an intimidator father, or you could have a poor me father and an interrogator mother. And your brother might have been, you know, an aloof means you go, what's wrong? And you have to keep chasing them. Poor me is a victim. So these dynamics growing up and we all have an expression of all of those in us, but we tend to go with one or the other. So the the impotent ego mind is constantly in judgment of am I safe? Um, have I got enough? Am I better or worse than him? And to the left hand side, you've got the observer. And between the third chakra and the lower heart and the heart chakra is what I call the value of shame. So if the ego feels shame, shame burns the ego up. So if your identity is with your ego, who, who you are, what people think about you, what you have, what you haven't got, how you look, then if that is challenged, you actually see, and you, you totally identify with that and you don't have a connection to self, then that is like death. So your behavior may seem strange, but you will be, it'll be logic in trying to keep together this false image of who you are. So the ego cannot do the necessary penetration through shame and piercing through the upper heart on its own. It requires the, the, the observer to wrap around this impotent phallus and to go through the, the shame valley of whatever it is, your personal shame. And then the ego dissolves and it penetrates through the, the, into the upper heart. Now, the lower heart chakra is control, envy, and it, it loves with a tight fist and has the envy there. When you pierce with the observer into the upper heart, that is the ultimate sexual act within a person. It is the ultimate act of creation. It is what creates the whole person. And it is what I, the bridal chamber it's called. And you pierce up through that and you're into the realm of the transformed. And the upper heart is allowing, it is accepting, it is joyful, and it has compassion and it doesn't grasp. It's unconditional. And then you move up into the throat chakra, which is blue color. The heart is green. And that is your ability to express yourself. And your third eye is your connection to the creative force of spirit. And your crown is the direct connection to spirit. Now, the remarkable thing that happens is when the heart chakra is penetrated by the observer and that bridal um, intercourse happens within a person's being, suddenly the non-local body, and this is physics now, so the non-local body is the crown chakra that's connected to spirit. Through the heart chakra, 
connects down to the local body, which is the root chakra. So you get this line coming down from the crown chakra through your energy system, through your heart, and it connects. So all of a sudden you feel home safe and enough because you're connected to spirit. The set, the, the third eye, which is connected to the creative force of nature, connects down through the heart chakra into your second chakra and inspires it and the ideas are created. And then the throat chakra will connect down through the heart into your identity. Now, on the mental body one, which is really important because it has created the universe as we perceive it and everything that's happening because consciousness can affect, make light into either a wave or a particle. So we're in effect what we think as within, so without. The name for that in Indian terms is um, Manipura. And Manipura means your city of jewels. So it's really important that whatever avatar you're expressing yourself as Joe or Lisa or whoever, that that personality is allowed to be, you know, who it is. But that personality is connected to an ego, which is childlike. And you don't destroy a child, but you don't let a child drive your car. So we need to identify that child. And when we're in a reaction mode, if somebody triggers us, we say, what is the name of what I'm feeling? Okay, it's embarrassment or shame. What age was I when I first felt that? Oh, okay, I was six. What happened? And you go back in time to that six-year-old and you wrap your observer around it. And you time travel and you heal and you, you reclaim that part of yourself into the now. And you expand as a person. And that's a constant journey. And that's why the people who, who know and remember are so busy retrieving aspects of themselves and welcoming the challenges that the external gives them because it gives them an opportunity to observe and wrap it around the ego and be the mother or the lover or the partner or the judge or the system that they don't have and be that themselves and become a complete circle. So when you become a complete circle then, or you have the concept of it, it's a constant effort attention to it then hopefully you're lucky enough to meet another complete circle. And the part that you join in the middle is the relationship. And whether that's just for a split second when you're in a shop dealing with someone or whether it's your marriage or your children. And if humanity can come back into that full circle, each individual, then like imaginal cells that happen in the heart, they will begin to come together like white blood cells, like an immune system. And at a certain tipping point, things will shift. So when you ask me, you ask me about Tesla, chakra and what people can do, it goes right back to what I always say. If I was in an elevator with you and you were panicking, I'd say everything is OK. And I would mean that whether your leg was falling off, you were about to die, you know, or somebody was about to put a bullet in your head. I'd say everything is OK because it is. And I know that I don't believe it. I know. Then I would ask you to close your eyes and tell me right now, this moment, what do you have? And allow the answer to come like an unstruck bell, like the Anahata. It, it doesn't matter if it's inappropriate. It doesn't matter if it's shocking. Learn to listen without judgment. What do I have? What do I want? What do I need? And you'll realize that often those three are not the same. What am I afraid of? And if I wasn't afraid, 
How would I be able to be authentic? They're the tough questions. So it's really easy to dive into Gnosticism and Archon and the cult and the elite and the cabal and the da, 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 da. If it's bringing your attention outside, then it's nothing but a distraction. And it doesn't matter whether it's true or false, because the only truth is the one that you know, that you have experienced and that you can never explain. So when you've asked me to come on to a radio interview and you showed me some of the questions you were going to ask me, I smiled and I said, realistically, the only way I could answer this is to sit in front of you and say nothing. But that wouldn't make for good radio, really. No, not a, not at all. You know, you explained that beautifully. Um, and, you know, understanding that crosshairs in the heart is, you know, top is spiritual, bottom is matter. And it's feminine and masculine as well. Um, yes. Top being feminine and lower being masculine. I, I often felt that the journey of a soul, and I'm I'm speaking as a woman now, Joe. Okay, um, I have this sort of a, I wouldn't call it a memory. It's sort of a familiar feeling that before I came here to this life, that I was standing in front of, and I can't explain it, the most perfect counterpart or love to me. And by counterpart, I mean as as a Sinesi. Um, so, for example, silence plus creativity gives birth to idea. So they're the perfect counterparts. So as, as a consciousness, I was with my perfect counterpart. And, I'm, and as a, an, an Irish woman, I'm saying, let's say as a woman, I was with the perfect man and or the perfect counterpart to me. And there was a knowing that. I had to come here to this earth um, to experience because that's what you have to do as consciousness and wisdom. You have to come and experience free will and, and, and life and expand with experience. So I had to leave this person or this, con this aspect. And it was almost as if he shattered into billions of shards of glass and I was born and I could see elements of it sparkling everywhere like as a child I could I could see it in the sunset I felt it in music I could see it in old people's eyes I could some teachers who who inspired me I would see this like a little broken shard of glass of an aspect of my true love I could see it in animals and dogs but with that if you if you see a shattered tiny piece of something that was everything to you there's joy every time you find a piece and it's always accompanied as well by a loneliness. And that combination of feeling my entire life of knowing that I left something which I will return to, which is why I don't fear death because I know what I'm going home to. Um, and in the meantime, my job is to identify and find the little shards of that aspect in, in as many places as I can find it because it's, it's plain hide and seek. And I can only speak from my point of view, my entire life from my earliest memory, which is very early up to now is to look for those sh little tiny shards of glass. And when I get home, when I die, I will bring back all of those memories and experiences and I will be enriched and the entirety of consciousness will be enriched by my experience. So that's my very vulnerable 
an honest answer to your question, what is the meaning for, for life, is to play hide and seek with the divine and smile at its remarkable ability to appear in the most unlikely of places. And that that is a glimpse of the unfathomable depth of love of which human spirit comes from. And when I see a person or a thing that don't have that in them, there's no judgment because in a game of hide and seek, you always have to have places to look where you don't find it to make it into a game. And at at the moments where I felt happiest in my life, I feel that loneliness and at the times where life has thrown me curveballs that I think could have finished off a lot of people, I felt its arms wrap around me. And love is recognizing that. Unfortunately, you can recognize that in another person. If they don't know who they are, if they haven't got the courage to walk through the shame of their heart and soul, you can't do that for them. And that's often why relationships either break down when one person is attempting to be the full circle or they tear apart and it's difficult or there's an abandonment sense that if you, you know, somebody feels you've taken away their connection to spirit, but every single one of us has to make that lonely journey from the third chakra mind through the shame into our heart. There's no shortcuts, Joe. There's no formula. No. And I think with that, it takes practice. And a commitment. Yeah. You know, yeah. You have to make a commitment to have a relationship with yourself. An authentic, to have an authentic relationship with yourself is the most important and biggest commitment that you can ever make. And when you commit to making an authentic relationship with yourself, then try going out and walking into a restaurant that doesn't permit your fellow man to go in because they haven't taken some form of experimental job. If people make that commitment to be authentic with the solemnity and the reverence and the knowing of how important it is, watch how the world transforms and watch the pyramid crumble. I'm going to just wrap it up on one thing. And it's that 1%. And that 1% is very small. And that 1% has mother nature on their side. Yes. And if that 1% can go within and without judgment, without fear, then that 1% can consciously, physically matter, whatever word you want, people want to use, change the outcome of humanity. Yeah. And you know what, Joe? Maybe it doesn't take 1%. Maybe it just takes one person. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just Joe. Yeah. Lisa, thank you for coming on to Dublin South FM. It's been the best, I have to say, in four years. It's been the the most enjoyable interview I've had. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time and uh, anyone who's listening, you know, there's a difference between information and knowledge. You are home, you are safe and you are enough and anything else is an illusion. Yeah, quite a mind, quite a mind. Thank you. And remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world conscious leaders and that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast which is part of the Conscious Business Academy offering purpose, profit and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing conscious leadership and creative culture. If you want to reach out to me, it's joedalton.ie You have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself. <laughs>